coming out of COVID, since we didn't have events to book and we didn't have any functions happening, we knew when we came out of COVID, we needed to look relevant and we needed to look fresh and we needed to look as though we had not been sitting idle for a year. We've got a little creatives. We've changed around our memberships so people can integrate both the in-person experience and the virtual experience really reshape your business because that's how you'll survive. Things are always changing, so the best way to survive is to change with it. This is The Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs. Anyone thinking about a startup or a business pivot or just getting underway and looking for some help. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work from experts who've been there and done that. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA, and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we look at small local businesses getting through the pandemic and staying relevant post-pandemic. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. How does a business doing under $2 million in revenue stay relevant in general, but how about coming out of a pandemic? We're on location with Kim Casto, who is the owner of Body Lines, and welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you, excited to be here. Body Lines is a Pilates studio. Where does Body Lines operate out of? Harvard, Massachusetts. And what makes you, you? What makes us, us is that we take extra time to really focus on our clients and really try to keep everything small group and do a lot of one-on-ones, as well as we have a majority of our team, our physical therapists and physical therapist assistants that are our instructors. So it's not just a matter of too many chiefs and not enough Indians, but actually everyone's doing a little bit of everything. Absolutely, yes. I'm super grassroots that everybody kind of has their hand in the pot between cleaning the studio and checking on technology for our Zoom classes now. And yep, everybody's doing a little bit of everything these days. Prior to COVID, it's our understanding that you had a couple of different locations and unfortunately one of them had a fire. How do you survive and recover from something like that? That was super challenging. We had a fire pre-pandemic and it was difficult because it was our larger studio and our more profitable studio. And at the time it was pretty drastic because we literally lost absolutely everything right down to every marketing piece but I made the decision that I'm in this for the long haul. I'm doing what I'm super passionate about. So it just made more sense. You go out, you get another business loan and you rebuild. Wow, am I grateful because we opened up for two months and after two months, then COVID hit. We then had to shut down. (laughs) But what made it actually really quite phenomenal is we rebuilt the studio and it just ended up being that we had a perfect setup to then teach all of our classes virtually. So it kind of worked out. And what about the second location? Our second location did not survive COVID. It was extremely small and we were right on the cusp of how well we were doing. And we knew we had to cut our losses at that point in time and really focus on our main studio during COVID, which was virtual. So it didn't make sense to maintain two brick and mortars. We just maintained the one that we rebuilt from the fire. So now we're hopefully all emerging from COVID. You are a successful small business, albeit one that has gone through different pivots. How are you remaining relevant? 
I think the most important thing is that we are continuing to offer our virtual classes, but now we've approached it a little bit differently. So we've changed around our memberships so people can integrate both the in-person experience and the virtual experience. And that can change week to week based on if COVID comes around in their family or even if they have sick kids or traveling. So that's number one. The other one is that now more than ever, people are looking for connection. So we continue to do all sorts of different things within the studio to get our clients to connect and little things right down to when a client walks into the studio, we want to introduce them to other clients in the studio and all the other staff so they feel connected. So those are two of the main things that we're really doing to separate ourselves and make sure that we're staying relevant. But so much of Pilates is using specialized equipment. How does someone take a class when they're in their home living room or maybe even their man or woman cave? Yeah, I love that. Or she shed. <laughs> <laughs> All of our online classes do not involve the equipment, but we've got a little creative. So one of the pieces of equipment is called the reformer. So we do reformer on the mat. And we also then during COVID started introducing a whole other series of classes that we didn't offer before and just enhanced how many that were not equipment-based. So for example, we added on more what we call total body training using some small weights. We added stretch classes, added strength classes, and every month we offer a variety of classes that we just pop up to keep it fresh. So this past month, it was focused on the feet. Our physical therapist delivered a workshop on plantar fasciitis, and we did a bunch of different things that were unique for people to do at home as well as in the studio. So a lot of our classes are hybrid, so they can do both. You mentioned that unfortunately, because of the fire, you lost uh, most of your marketing material Having also gone through COVID, how are you marketing these days? It's no longer just brick and mortar. Are you being traditional, non-traditional, avant-garde? Help us to understand that, please. I took that time while I wasn't having to focus on the actual operation and really took some time to dive deeper into the marketing. So it has changed my marketing. I'm doing a lot of Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and just recently started doing some print advertising again. We have certainly changed our marketing since COVID and have gone more to advertising online. So with Google ads, Facebook, Instagram, and we did just start some print advertising, but there is one strong community paper that we've advertised in that does yield results. But yeah, we've changed our marketing. Do you have a flavor, Kim, for how well it might be working compared with old school marketing? Yes, I would say that right now about 50% of our new leads are coming from Google. So we know that our Google ads are working. About another 20% is just drive-by and sign and about another 30% is really referrals. So, so many businesses use Google. What do you think your margin is on that in terms of how much you're paying versus the results you're receiving? That's a great question. I would say if I was looking at the lifespan of a client, which really I just look at a year, that one month of advertising could end up turning into, let me just do some quick calculations. We would get the return on that within two months and therefore the remaining portion of the year would be all revenue. All profit falling to the bottom line. That's right, exactly. Kim, we're impressed that you survived a fire, you survived COVID and who knows what else. What advice would you have for other small businesses in terms of not only surviving, but now flourishing post-pandemic? Continuing to listen to your ideal client. And if they're not interacting with your business today, go out and find them. 
But if you do have clients, really take the time to connect with them and listen to what their needs are and ask more probing questions to really reshape your business because that's how you'll survive. Things are always changing. So the best way to survive is to change with it. Kim, thank you very much. Thank you. Kim Casto, the owner of Body Lines Pilates, talking about how to survive as a small business doing under $2 million in revenue. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Next up, an events management company that went through the pandemic with no events to book, but they pulled it off. When the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. And I just really, for the first time, felt like I was in a place where everybody knew what was going on and everyone was incredibly driven to study this and perfect this field. And so I think being in a top business school really means that you are finding the barriers and the edges of the field and pushing them a little farther. And that's what Questrom has taught me over the past four years. The curriculum at Questrom is really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Questrom School of Business and, like I said, be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash Questrom. You're listening to The Language of Business and our look at small businesses trying to stay relevant post-pandemic. Back to Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. You have a really well-functioning business. You're providing entertainment for personal and corporate functions, and then COVID hits. And now nobody's even allowed to leave their house let alone go to a party with more than perhaps three or four people in attendance. What do you do then and what do you do, more importantly, now? We're on location with Vanessa Holroyd, co-owner of Music Management, and welcome to The Language of Business. Oh, thank you so much. Vanessa, talk to us about what Music Management does in terms of providing event talent. Well, we represent a lot of different musicians. They're not always exclusive through us. Sometimes they do direct bookings, but basically we're a service oriented company. So between myself and my business partner's expertise, I'm a classical musician, I'm a flutist. So I'm a freelancer in town. I do a lot of performing and I have a degree in music and my business partner, Stuart has been working in bands and was a drummer for years. And the founder of the company, who's now retired, Judy Noy, was on the board of the New School of Music in Cambridge and extremely experienced as a musician herself. And so we provide a service to clients that are looking for music for their parties. And that could be the Museum of Fine Arts that's having an exhibit opening and they want to curate some music that pairs with the exhibit sensitively. We may have a client who's a corporation that's just having a conference for three days and needs entertainment when everybody comes into town and entertainment for receptions throughout the time. And it may be for people's weddings where they want a band or a DJ, ceremony music. And so we basically are, I think of it as a little bit like a wine pairing. It's like you give me your menu and I tell you what music is going to go great with your menu because of our knowledge of venues and load-ins and how everything works. We can recommend and source and produce the entertainment for your function. And you're talking to us from Connecticut and do you service functions throughout New England? Well, you asked me about my hometown, which is uh, Connecticut, but I live in Jamaica Plain. I've been Boston-based since 1998. 
So we primarily service the greater Boston area, but we will do New England. We go to the islands, of course, Newport, Rhode Island, Watch Hill. We'll go up to Maine. We do Vermont. We do a little bit in New York, usually just north of the city if we're just sort of going out west. We've sent groups to Florida. We've sent groups to the Bahamas. But in general, we're a New England, primarily Boston-based company. How does a format like yours, a business like yours, survive during COVID? We had to do a number of different things. We ended up needing to, we had a physical office. We've had a physical office for years. We're a very collaborative community. We used to have myself and my business partner and Judy. We also used to have a full-time salesperson and an office administration. Everybody would sort of be in the same office together and we would bounce ideas off each other. That was when the event industry took such a hit with COVID. We ended up having to close our physical office and work completely remotely. So we do everything from our homes. We redid our website because we decided that coming out of COVID, since we didn't have events to book and we didn't have any functions happening, we knew when we came out of COVID, when events started coming back, we needed to look relevant and we needed to look fresh and we needed to look as though we had not been sitting idle for a year. So we spent most of the pandemic redoing our website, redoing our logo and branding to make sure that when we sort of represented ourselves to our clients and partners and new clients and partners that we looked as though we were still present and active. And do you feel that you're currently present and active enough that you're able to differentiate yourself post-COVID, perhaps even more than you did before? Yeah, I think so. I think that we really focus on the service that we provide. We're not just one band or one ensemble, and we have so much experience. I mean, the company, I've been with it since 1998, but the company's been around for over 40 years. And so we're an established brand, um, an established company in town. Our first account was the Museum of Fine Arts. We've been at the Four Seasons for a long time and other downtown hotels. We have been able to demonstrate that we're still a solid, trustworthy resource for entertainment. Uh, we hope so as well. Given that you are a small business, are you concerned about continuing to stay relevant now that hopefully everybody comes back with a vengeance post-COVID? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a struggle. I think what's been hard is we've had to keep our operating expenses much lower than they had been, which means taking on a lot of extra administrative work that we would normally have delegated to either our office administrator or between more sales representatives. And so for us, it's a struggle to sort of meet the demand. So what we've been trying to focus on is quality versus quantity. We don't need to take every single booking, but what we're doing we want to make sure we're doing really, really well, sourcing the right entertainment and producing things that a sustainable model of work. I think it's been good. It's just, it's been difficult to adjust behind the scenes, like how we deal with our contract language, like what sort of protections we have in place moving forward, because we hadn't anticipated how to accommodate for a COVID-related cancellation or a postponement. We had force majeure language in place, but it didn't cover things like, I just want to repostpone till next year, and then I want to postpone to the year after that. I think things are sort of settling, but it's definitely been a little bit of a challenge keeping up with how we're protecting ourselves. In the past few months, inflation has impacted nearly every business. Has music management had to raise its prices or have the musicians or contractors that you've been hiring starting to raise theirs? In our industry, not yet. However, I think the biggest thing that we're anticipating is destination weddings or things where musicians that are based in Boston are having to travel. We've always had sort of base rates for all of our musicians. I'm not sure that they're going to change because right now they're pretty competitive. 
but I think what may go up are travel fees. So for instance, if a band has to travel to Maine, up north or Vermont, maybe they used to charge us two or $300 a musician to go that distance. Now it may be 50 or $60 or $100 more because they know that it's going to be that much more expensive to get there. That hasn't happened yet, but I'm anticipating that the, the sort of travel fees or musicians just when I'm contracting string players for a ceremony, I have started hearing from people, oh, you know what, I'd rather hold out for a gig in town rather than traveling down to Newport or traveling out to Nantucket and having to take the ferry and having to do all that driving. But so far, we've been able to keep our prices pretty much the same. Is word of mouth a big source of referrals for music management? I would say it's one of the only sources of referrals for music management. We, our company does not do a lot of print advertising. We don't do a lot of advertising in general. And so we rely on our relationships and our partnerships and our friendship in town. And we work very hard to nurture those. As we're all emerging from COVID, some businesses are booming with something that we call latent demand. People have been staying on the sidelines and at the same time, everyone's pressing go. Has that affected your business positively or negatively? Or have you essentially picked up where you left off pre-COVID in terms of the amount of bookings, the amount between bookings, et cetera? This year is feeling a little bit more normal, like pre-COVID normal, as far as the rate at which inquiries and bookings are coming in and the rate of production. So in the first quarter, we typically don't have a lot of events to produce, but we're fielding a lot of inquiries for people that are booking their weddings or corporate parties. The corporate work is starting to come back in a way that it was not last year at all. So that has definitely felt a little more balanced between social and corporate. This is the first year where I've been like, okay, things are feeling a little bit more normal as opposed to this time last year where we had absolutely nothing for the first quarter because no one knew what was happening. And then when the restrictions were relaxed last April or May, there was this huge influx of demand across the event industry, planners, florists, photographers, everybody was kind of reeling because normally we would have had a fair number of bookings on the books by April. So we wouldn't have to book and produce simultaneously. But what happened last year is that the booking and the producing were happening simultaneously at a really alarming rate, a great rate, because it meant we wanted to take everything we possibly could. But I don't think anybody took a breath from April to December last year. So this year, I feel like it's still busy. We're still experiencing an increase in demand, but it's feeling a little bit more the way it used to before COVID, a little bit more sustainable and manageable. Being the successful co-owner of a small business, what is the single biggest thing that keeps you and or your business partner up at night? Well, when your product is people, there's only so much and it's all relationship-based. I think that's what makes us nervous is that we can prep a musician and prep a client as much as we possibly can. But at the end of the day, and we obviously have a wonderful, wonderful team of people that perform on our behalf, but people are people and things can happen. Somebody's car can break down or somebody can be late or have a family emergency. And so things we're depending on things that are out of our control is so always a little stressful. I think COVID in general has been stressful just because we have the added fact of we don't know whether somebody's going to test positive. And so if they test positive, they can't do an event. And so having to sub somebody out at the last minute or explain to a client, but I think it's, we love what we do so much and we want everything to go so well. And when you're handling, especially a wedding, someone's most, one of the most 
special events in their lives, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make everything go in the best way possible. And so sometimes when we have something where there are a lot of things that could potentially happen, I think we just get a little nervous about that. Vanessa, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Vanessa Holroyd, co-founder of Music Management. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We're available wherever you get podcasts or ask Alexa. Social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Oswe Media. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio production, editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.